I have with me uh, Jamar Cobb Denard. And Jamar is a businessman, attorney, and leadership consultant. And I wanted to talk to him about a few things here. Jamar, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's great to be here with the great Jesse Lee Peterson. It's a good day. Amazing. I appreciate that, man. Um, so you are a businessman. How did you become a businessman? It's a funny story. Uh, I sold knives when I was in college, house to house. Uh -huh. And most people sell for a couple weeks and stop. I didn't. I sold a quarter million dollars in knives by the time I was 23, 24, and also ran their business um, here in central Indiana. So that's how I got into business, invested my first $10,000 in that. That company had 70 employees and was off to the races. Which school did you go to? Uh, Western Michigan University. I'm originally from Michigan and then oh, graduated okay. from law school at IU. Amazing. And you are an attorney and leadership consultant. What is a leadership consultant exactly? Mm -hmm. So I focus on teaching uh, leadership skills and soft skills to CPAs. So communication, conflict management, anti-bias training, et cetera. Um, so basically my, my lead base for uh, business transactions, I help business owners buy and sell companies. Um, our lead base usually comes from CPAs. So I spend a lot of time with them uh, so I can build a relationship, get their referrals, and then help them with transactions. Nice. You have uh, specialized in diversity and inclusion for the National Association of African-American Insurance Agents and Bethany Christian Service. And just few, a couple of the companies work for. What is African American? Uh, first of all, what is uh, when you specialize in diversity and inclusion? What what does that mean, and how do you do that? Sure. So you know, I've spent seventeen years as a leadership consultant, and last. June when the George Floyd stuff went down and all of a sudden corporate America um, got woke. Uh, they wanted to do something to be anti-prejudice, anti-bias. You know, the NFL <clears throat> started out a few years ago uh, saying, should we uh, stop football players from playing the game when they kneel? And now in the end zones, they've got stop racism, right? So I started getting a lot of calls from my clients saying, do you have any anti-bias training, uh, things that will help stop microaggressions, et cetera. And really, I saw uh, my way to help the movement of African-Americans in this country was to teach and train corporate Americans and how to identify bias in the workplaces and also start to remove it. Um, and it's been really great. CPA Academy, we've uh, reached over uh, 5,000 professionals that are CPAs with that message. Um, same thing with the Na National African-American Insurance uh, Association. Same thing with the National Association of Black Accountants. And finally, I'm the state president of the Indiana African-American uh, Democrat Caucus. So uh, really focused on uh, both my business development time and my free time, making sure that African-Americans have a leg forward. And so you get calls from white companies that say, hey, Jamal, I need you to come and show us how to treat the blacks. Uh, yes. And what's wrong? What's wrong with black people that they need to be babied like that? Why are they so pitiful that I mean, I want to ask this first. 
Why would a white company invite you in to tell them how to treat the blacks? What's mm -hmm. wrong with blacks that they have to be treated in a special way? So uh, there's a few questions there. One, I do want to mention that um, anti-bias and diversity training isn't just about blacks. Yes, that was the uh, start of the conversation last year, but it's also about um, LGBTQ members and women and immigrants and the disabled, etc. Um, I don't think that blacks need to be babied. But why but, do they have to have training? Why do the white people have to be taught to treat them like, they, like they're little infinite children that don't know how to I, act like adults? Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of well-meaning uh, non-blacks that don't know what's wrong or what's right in terms of how they're treating and showing up in diversity. And I think that's really the key is there's some folks that don't care. Uh, and don't want to have environments that are welcoming to everyone. And then there's other people that just don't know. And I think it's the open What does people. that mean, though? Don't, mm -hmm. If you go and apply for a job, right? Mm -hmm. Who are these people they think that they can go in there and change the way the boss act or the way the other employee treat them? How? I don't get that. I just don't get it. <laughs> it looked like, look like the blacks ought to be embarrassed that someone have to tiptoe around them. Yeah, I think we've stopped tiptoeing. And that's the point, is that we're not tiptoeing anymore. We're standing But the up. whites are tiptoeing around the blacks. Uh, in what way? Because they have people like you coming in there to tell them how they need to treat the blacks. So they're yeah, not treating the blacks so like they're human beings. They're treating them like they are dummies that need to be dealt with in a delicate way now i don't think it's delicacy i think it's um inappropriate ways non-racist ways um unconscious bias ways if you if we don't know what bias we have how can we be better toward the people that are around us so give me you so here you are they call you up jamal come 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 we have some black folks we got to treat them less white so you go in there and tell the white people to do what um, so first, it's about uh, understanding what um, unconscious bias is. Second, uh, what some of those microaggressions could be. Um, and then third, helping them establish value systems. So it's not just we, we like all people. Uh, American Express wants to make sure that everyone has uh, equal opportunity, but they're actually putting their money where their mouth is and helping every community make sure that they get to the next level. What, give me an example of unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so there's the root of unconscious bias comes from identifying what's right or what's wrong, what's familiar, or what's unfamiliar. Babies even do it. Um, you can see when you give a baby to a stranger, many times they do what? They cry because it's an unfamiliar person. Um, so unconscious bias really rooted in what's familiar or unfamiliar to us. And many times we will either make assumptions or block out things that are different as a means of protection. So if I, I, I don't quite understand what you're saying, but if I try to figure it out, you're saying that the white people need to understand that the blacks are not as smart and determined. And so when they let the blacks in, they have to kind of let them be dumb or- No, uh, not at all. Not act so smart around them or, or just the know that they are incapable, so they, they are incapable like of doing this. They have to treat the blacks like they recognize that the blacks are incapable of doing it. So the whites have to play dumb. 
No, not at all. It's the whites have to play smart. Um, but the whites are smart. They're the one hiring the blacks, and they have to hire you to come in to tell them how to treat the blacks. Mm-hmm. So they have to act. The whites have to play dumb when the blacks come. No, the whites actually have to play smart. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So instead of uh, dumbing anybody down, um, unconscious bias training is about being aware of the differences of the people in front of us. So there's like strength. What, what type of di- difference? What are the differences? So there's cultural differences. Uh, for example, uh, you, you know, raised uh, with um, uh, grandma and grandpa, great grandma, great grandpa coming from the deep south, uh, we didn't call uh, adults as children by their first name. We call them auntie this, uncle that, Mr., Mrs., ma'am, or sir. Um, but it's a, a different cultural piece with some white families where it's okay to call people by their, their first names. So that's one small difference that can come in conflict. So the black people, people want white know. people to call them auntie at work. What'd you say? What the? <laughs> so the black people want the white people to call them auntie at work. I mean, if, if you got an old mother, I mean, you might as well call her Mrs. and be respectful. But no, that's not the point. The point here is that there are cultural differences uh, between generations, between colors of people, between ethnicities, uh, between economic differences that many people aren't even aware that those differences are there. But I don't I still don't know what it is that the blacks want. I mean, when you go there. You tell the white people to call, okay, you need to call this black aunt, this black woman, Auntie Macy, and the, and the black guy, Uncle Joe. Yeah, well, that's one example, but no, really? they're not going to call them that at work. So why? That no, they're not going to call them that at work. So what are you telling the white people to do at work to the black folks? Mm-hmm. Um, to make sure that everyone has... Uh, the resources they need individually to succeed. But that's what companies do anyway. Not necessarily. So many companies are either giving everyone the same thing, which comes from and is rooted in um, uh, anti-Jim Crow, anti-segregation laws, affirmative action from the 1970s and 80s. What What do you say? Uh, That doesn't make any sense at all. Who is teaching the blacks how to act? Because black people are out of control. They have bad attitudes and they have they don't know how to build they don't know how to really do anything Mm. why don't y'all focus on teaching the blacks how to act and and be productive rather than trying to change the white man as to how he should act with his own company yeah so that's that's not my job uh nor my contact sphere but where i've seen a role come up to help our entire community is to work with the business community which is dominated and led by mostly white people in the North, especially um, to, to for the willing to be able to create better environments for themselves. But I do want to loop back and say this. Um, yeah, there are African-Americans who um, don't rise to the challenge, who don't rise to the occasion, um, who need to make sure that we're not just sitting around looking for a handout. Uh, who need to make sure that we're not uh, just focused on um, getting what we can from the man or the system or being victims. Yeah, we need to stand up and build our own communities to make sure that we're there for our families. But then the focus uh, when you're going into these white businesses trying to make them give in to the black, you're not helping the blacks at all 
because you're telling them that it's somebody else's fault that they are incapable by trying no. to force white people to change to make blacks feel comfortable. Well, that's not what I said. I know, um, but that's what it means. It, no, not at all. <laughs> so here, here's, here's another example. <clears throat> there are many companies that recruit across the country, and they're just looking for top talent. Um, so part of our strategy may be, or part of a company's strategy may be, making sure that they're going to every place to make sure that they find top talent, going to the HBCUs, going into communities that they haven't been to before to find new clients and new employees. So that gives everyone the opportunity to have a shot at the table. I've taught over the years, I've taught with a lot of uh, business owners, foreigners, foreigners, as well as people who are born here. And they don't like to hire white uh, black people because the blacks show up late, they have an attitude, blacks don't know how to really perform at work, uh, and then we have to discipline them or you have to let them go, the first thing the blacks want to do is sue, and they cry racism. So a lot of foreigners, as well as uh, white people that live here, Indians and others have told me they don't like hiring the blacks, they try to do everything they can to get around that. And unless you guys correct the blacks, nobody's going to want to be bothered with them. Yeah, you know, I hear what you're saying. There is no free pass for poor behavior. Um, you know, I was looking at some uh, police brutality or police arrest tapes um, a few days ago. And with part of the arrest, there was force used. And there was a lot of people saying it's it's police brutality. We have to stand up and we've got to march. But then I called the police and said, hey, uh, what happened here? Tell me a little bit about what really went on. They said, well, there was a uh, high-speed chase, and there may have been firearms involved, and there may have been um, some inebriation involved, and then the person was resisting arrest, right? So the entire story was bigger than this one person being arrested in a forceful way. It was about uh, really making sure that the community was safe, that they were able to seize a person who was breaking the law, and make sure that uh, they got them safe, that they got them under arrest, and the rest of the community was safe. So again, there is no free pass. Bad behavior is bad behavior. You show up late for work, whether you're uh, white, uh, Asian, African-American, uh, young, old, yeah, you, you should be let go. And there is no cry for racism for that type of behavior. But they do We've it, all though. Stand up and be the, blacks have, the blacks know that, and not all, not all, not all, but most, they know mm -hmm. they can get away with that now. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing they cry is racism. They fired me because I'm black. And then so they go sue. And so now a lot of companies don't want to be bothered with that. I noticed that you included blacks, women, homosexuals, and LGBTQ people, right? How did the blacks get to the point that they have no shame about being lumped in with perverted people? Mm. Because LGBT, homosexual, lesbians, and this women thing, abortion and all that, blacks are lumped in with all that. Mm -hmm. Why is there no shame about that? You know, it's interesting. The Black Lives Matter movement was, and this is just information from their website, started by two women who I believe are lesbians. Fat, and black, of, radical lesbians. Yeah, okay, you got it. So um, <laughs> a lot of what has popularized their movement, I'm not saying I'm for or against Black Lives Matter as an organization or as people, but I do believe that um, African-Americans matter in our society. But back to your question is, 
why is intersectionality um, such an important part of uh, the liberal agenda, so to speak? Um, and that's because they want to be the uh, party or the, the organization that all people matter and all people are there and it's big tent umbrella. Um, but the other reality, and you, you touched on some of this, is that uh, black people don't just need to look at Democrat politics or uh, liberal agendas. We also need to look at the data. Um, <clears throat> so on two different examples, the infant mortality rates for uh, black mothers is much higher than for um, white mothers. Uh, so instead of looking at we need liberal policies and we need uh, intersectionality, let's look at we need to make sure that we've got good health care for the people that are around us. The abortion rates are higher uh, for African-Americans than any other demographic. So instead of just voting for people who uh, you know are African-American or who are liberal that seem to uh, carry African-Americans as their uh, pitch card, we need to look at the data and say, uh, yes, there are crimes in the street, but you all are allowing us to murder more black babies than are ever killed in the street. Um, so when it comes to the end of the day for African-Americans, we've really got to look at the data uh, instead of making choices just based on popularity. But blacks don't look at they don't look for, they don't look for information on their own. They just go about they go with what they have been told especially from so-called other black leaders. Yeah, and, and Jesse, everybody does that, right? Not so me. If we, uh, not you, and that's good, and that's why you've got this show. But here's the thing, with uh, police brutality and uh, police action shootings. No such thing as police brutality, man. What do you say? No such thing as police brutality. What do you mean? No such thing as racism, police brutality, uh, sexism, Federal law enforcement data says that there are more white people who are killed by police than African-Americans. Yet the story consistently is uh, that black people are killed by the police and they're killing us. Right. right because they want blacks to be angry and out of control. And the order data to also use says the blacks for personal gain. Yes. And the data also says that at a higher rate of proportionality, African-Americans are killed more based on their distribution in society. But it's been colored as the coloreds are getting beat by the police. <laughs> so we've got to look back and see what the agenda really is and how we're being used. Yeah. Another thing that it just blows my mind. Um, the Republican Party was founded by blacks and whites because the Democratic Party would not allow blacks to be a part of it. And now because blacks don't use their own mind, they're all into the color they are like settled on the plantation of the party that don't like them, which is the Democratic Party. And they think that the Republican Party is their enemy when they started the Republican Party. Isn't that like mind blowing? Well, so yes, and. <laughs> um, there was a turn in history at the, end of, at the beginning of the 1900s, uh, more after the Great Depression between 1920 and 1930, when the, um, ideals and naming of the Democrat versus the Republican Party basically flipped. Um, so what I like to look at through history is conservative values versus more liberal values. Things like uh, that are liberal is um, socialist policies that make sure that wealth is distributed, um, uh, allowing drugs to be legal, um, uh, emancipation of different groups of people, and then uh, more conservative policies related around the economy 
and driving people to make more money or keeping the policies closer to what the church was saying. So in um, uh, the 1800s, the Democrat Party was the party of the South. It was the party that wanted more slavery. And it was actually a Republican, uh, Abraham Lincoln, that wanted emancipation. Yeah. But then there was a flip in the early 1900s and the Democrat Party in name became the ones who were focused more on um, uh, liberal issues. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, we shouldn't just stick with a party that um, is in name only and whose statistics bear out that uh, they're not there to help black people. <clears throat> right. Again, we need to look at the data uh, and also the history, but we've got to make smart decisions about finding and electing leaders that are really going to help. The community. What happened, too, is what really happened is that that a civil rights movement started, which should have never happened. One of the worst things that ever happened to black people was the civil rights movement, because <clears throat> the black up until that point, black people thought for themselves. They did for themselves. They had families. They believed in God. Um they had a sense of moral values. They loved America. But then the civil rights movement started. And so-called civil rights, there's no such thing as civil rights, by the way. But, and they sold the blacks to the Democratic Party because at the time, Martin Luther King was a Republican. But they made a deal on, with Lyndon B. Johnson that, okay, if you give the blacks programs and let us be their leaders, we'll sell them over to you. And so they made a deal with the Democratic Party that if y'all let us be the leaders of the blacks, we'll let you get them programs. We'll bring them into the Democratic Party. And it's just gotten worse since then because the blacks sold their soul to the black leaders and the Democratic Party. So there's a, there's one big thing that you said in there, and um, it, it's hit me it, not only in the 1920s, 1930s, Black Wall Street, but also uh, the civil rights movement. There is something to be said for how integration weakens um, individual strength in communities. So if we look at the Jewish communities, for example, um, yeah. they still have their, uh, I'll call them own neighborhoods, but in neighborhoods where the majority of them live in, they've got their churches that are within those neighborhoods, then they've got their own banks and their own businesses and their own, their own, their own. And, you know, people make jokes that uh, Jewish families always have a lot of money. Well, it's probably because they're supporting each other. Now, when African-Americans have a new business that starts up, oh, I don't want to go over there. That might be too ghetto or, oh, they don't do business right. Instead of collectively supporting each other and helping our money raise each other's money. You know how to change that is that the blacks have to change their attitudes. When you walk into a black business, you get attitude. You know, they, the, the black business owner, though you owe them something. And so a lot of black people don't want to support a black business because we as black people know how black people are. We know their attitude. We know that how hard it is to go into the black community, maybe get robbed, something may happen, right? So you got to change the attitude of the blacks by getting them to believe in God again because most black people do not believe in God. Let me take a quick break. Uh, and then I'll come back, Jamal. Uh, Jamal Cobb Denard. Is Cobb your middle name or what? I have a hyphenated last name, so it's my mom and dad's last name joined into one as Cobb Denard. Are you from the South? Uh, no, I'm from Michigan. My family is from Georgia and Mississippi.
Oh, uh, because I have cousins. Their last name are name are is uh, Cobb. So me, we, what's going on, cuz? So what? What's going on, cuz? Are we, are we cousins? We might be kin folks. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you about uh, Bethany Christian Service. What is that exactly? Bethany Christian Services is a um, uh, an adoption agency uh, that's faith and Christian based, and they also do a number of um, uh, interracial adoptions. So it's families that may be uh, a different race or ethnicity than the child that they're adopting. Oh, okay, you uh, as a consultant, you help businesses business owners value their companies. What mm -hmm. values does diversity training bring to a company? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> uh, qualitatively, uh, there have been studies that say that more diversity in companies uh, spurs additional innovation. It brings more people to the table that have different ideas. Um, but quantitatively, there's also been studies by the McKinsey Institute, as well as Harvard, Deloitte and Touche, uh, that mention that valuations increase, the EBIT margins increase, turnover decreases, um, your ability to hire and find new talent increases, top line value and the ability to hit your goals also increases. So um, there have been numbers showing that having diverse workspaces uh, actually helps the value of businesses. Um. Are you surprised that white companies will hire someone to come in and do this to their company? Are you surprised that they will let the blacks come in and tell them how to treat other blacks in their own private business? Are you like surprised that white people are that weak? Um, so I'm not surprised and I don't believe that they're weak. That is there a are weakness. some companies that are just doing it because it's the thing to do right now. Hashtag me too. All of a sudden companies <laughs> got on that bandwagon. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, there are companies that just want to do well for our communities. So take this, for example, there are underfunded schools all across our country. Many of those schools are in urban neighborhoods. Um, but part of our pitch to companies is how do we do better and more for our community, whether it's blacks or Latinos or whites? Uh, because uh, statistically, again, there are more whites on welfare than uh, any other single minority group. That's so because there are more do? white people. But for the number of black people, <laughs> there are too many more black people on dependent on the government. Yeah, and that's it. So how can we send resources? How can we send people? How can we send education? And how can we send training to those that more than uh, racially are, but are economically diverse from those folks who have uh, some economic influence and power? At what point will black people stop being victims? When will they know that they are no longer victims? Oh, that that's a good question um because that that's a mentality it's insidious and it's also been baked into african americans that they were victims of uh being kidnapped victims <laughs> of being trafficked victims of being slaves i was talking to one of my friends about django the other night you remember that movie jamie lee Fo uh, J jamie uh, fox maybe yeah. 10 years old he was a slave, but he was like a slave superhero. And he came out and started uh, 
uh, uh, shooting and killing all these slave masters and uh, the African-American slaves that worked in the house. Um, and, you know, they'd say they pronounced his name wrong to Django. And he said, it's Django. And I was like, man. So there's all these slaves that are uh, doing the work for these folks that won't stand up for themselves. Uh, but Django came out like a slave superhero and was knocking, knocking boys down. So that's the kind of mentality that we need to have. Not that we need to kill people. That I was about to, to ask sort of what black ourselves. people were happy to see Django killing white people. No, that's not it. But we need to stand <laughs> up for ourselves. <laughs> that's the point of that story. Uh, we can't be victims. Do, do black people know that prior to the civil rights movement, under the Jim Crow law, I grew up in Alabama under the Jim Crow laws, right? Mm-hmm. And during that period of time before the so-called civil rights movement started, black people were independent. They got married. They worked hard. They bought land. They treated white people and others the way they would like to be treated. They treated all people the same, right? And they weren't begging or blaming. They weren't asking for reparations or affirmative action and all that crap. And, but then once they joined the civil rights movement, all that disappeared. Do black people know that once at one point in time in history that black people were, were as you say, like the Jews, they depended on themselves. They didn't beg, blame and try to force their way into the, someone else's home. Do black people know about those times? They do, but I think a lot of people are, and, and this, takes, this takes God in order to um, show it and reveal it to people how they may be and being, are being used systemically. A few examples, and you talked about some of these things. Civil rights, for one, uh, weakened the fabric of many African-American communities, but also tried to give them access to everything else. Well, access to everything else actually diluted their powers individuals. Reagan tried to weaken the black community, and he did, by uh, the introduction of crack through the Iran-Contra conflict. Um, Clinton weakened the African-American community with his three strikes are outlaw and building the prison industrial complex. Trump but, um, weakened but the black community. But how did they weaken it? What's wrong with black people? If they did put the drugs there, Mm-hmm. What's wrong with the blacks that they took the drugs? <laughs> what the? <laughs> we, we'll just let that one sit there for a minute. Um, <laughs> Trump weakened African-Americans with divisive rhetoric and uh, was controlled by social media. So then all of a sudden people were weakened by their own. But see, th- that's still playing victim. Trump didn't weaken me. Reagan didn't weaken me because, and, and in the good old days when boys were boys and men were men, black people were not weakened. They were strong because mm-hmm. they loved God. They loved what's right. They treated their neighbor as themselves. They taught their kids how to work and how to be decent people. But the blacks have lost that now. They don't have any of that. They don't love God. They don't love each other. They're putting the woman before the man. I want to ask you that. I noticed that black males cry racism and they want affirmative action and reparations. They, uh, they act just like the black women. Are you embarrassed by that? Because normally men stand up and take responsibility, right? And lead the way. But the black men are putting the woman, the black woman before them. Mm. They are blaming white people by crying racism and police brutality. They are complaining. They are killing one another. They are acting as bad as the black women. Are you surprised by that? 
Yeah, I don't know the comparison between um, the black men acting like black women. But, but don't I you will hear them crying racism and but I will white man is superior? Black men need to stand up for our families. Yeah. Black men need to stand up and make sure that we have jobs and take our kids to church and teach them the way of God. We need to make sure that women are taken care of. Uh, we need to make sure that our mamas and our families are taken care of. Uh, so there's, uh, we've said it before on your show today that there's been a weakening of the backbone of African-Americans. And a lot of that comes from men standing, not standing up and doing their responsibility. Because they've been raised by single women and single women are very angry and, and emotional and they turn these women are turning the boys against their fathers and all things i got it because of time i'm, I'm looking at the clock here there was something i want to ask you uh this is from the revolver the or oregon department of education has encouraged teachers to register for training would seek to undo racism in mathematics. Do you think mathematics is racist? I don't understand that. How are, how are, how is math racist? I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out. You're the, you're the, uh, collusion teacher. Well, <clears throat> inclusion so, teacher. Uh, how is math racist? Is, uh, maybe it's the access to, <laughs> the resources, access to the education. I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't read that article, so I can't speak to it. Oh, okay. Um, but in terms of educational equity, yes, especially during COVID-19, uh, we have to make sure that people have resources that they need to get to school. That Who have to make sure of that? Uh, we as a community, whether that's politicians, whether that's individual people, whether that's collectives, there are people in rural areas that don't have uh, access to internet or Wi-Fi, yet school is all online now. Um, there are people in urban areas that don't have laptops. Well, who, have to, who is responsible for that? The individual or somebody else? Both. That individual has to make it happen, but collectively, if we see that there's a need for our community, we've got to dig deep and make sure that our folks have what they need. You specialize in civil rights. What are civil rights? Uh, civil rights from a legal perspective is uh, ensuring that Title VII, um, uh, different decisions by a, uh, either an employer or the government based on race, sex, religion, gender, sexual orientation, disability, age, Don't be including sexual orientation, man. What do you say? Don't include sexual orientation on that crap. Well, yeah, I, I, I've got to include it because it's there. There's cases right now floating around the Ninth Circuit and the Seventh Circuit. Uh, and this was a few years ago, so I may need a little bit of update. That was whether the uh, sex inclusion within Title VII <laughs> includes sexual orientation. Uh, so that's that's a conversation. It's a real thing. Oh, what a mess. Are you a Christian? Yes. And do you support so-called same-sex marriage? <laughs> I support the Bible. How about same-sex marriage? I, I, all I have to say is I support the Bible. So what the Bible says about relationships, about what's sin, what's not sin, um, that's what's most important. And you asked a little bit earlier, how do we get back to strong communities, strong families? How do we get to the point? It's by following what God says. So our communities, our policies, many of our people and our leaders um, are either anti-God or they're ignoring what the Bible says in order for them to get uh, ahead. And it's, it's hard to say that um, uh, that uh, sex before marriage, I like your t-shirt, sex before marriage is a sin. You can get it by going to rebuildingaman.com slash store. 
I like that. Uh, It's hard to say that um, so many things that the Bible talks about isn't right. But the one thing that doesn't change is the word of God. And that's what's going to get us out of where we are right now. Is LGBTQ normal? Normal. What, What do you mean? Uh, they are trying to make LGBTQ a normal instead of showing them how to overcome it. They're mm-hmm. trying to make it normal. Is anytime, that is that normal? Anytime something that is anti-God is normalized isn't right. And it's not just happening with LGBTQ. It's happening with divorce. It's happening yeah. with drugs and alcohol. It's happening with They're trying to normalize everything that's wrong. Right. What? The? And, and that's what it is. It's, it's really a blindfold of the enemy, of the devil, so that yeah. we see things as they aren't. What does the word say that we're saying things that are uh, saying things that aren't sin? Calling those things which not as though they is or something like that. Yep. You got it. Um, um, so you don't know when black people are going to say, well, it's enough. We're not victims anymore. We can do it ourselves. You don't have an idea when they're going to stop. All we can do is put a non-victim mentality in our families and those that are closest with us. Are you surprised at how afraid white people are of one word of being called racist, that the blacks have them on the run? Are you surprised? I I am. I was in a Republican um, private club one night speaking as the liberal (laughs) on a panel of of three or four. And... Um, the Republican who was on Trump's uh, c- campaign said that uh, Republicans and conservatives are being victimized by the rhetoric of today. And I said, victimized? What do you mean? He said, well, right now, we feel like we don't have free speech. Yeah. We can't hang a Trump flag. We can't put a Trump uh, sign in our front yard for fear that we're going to be called racist. Um, and I was surprised at that point. But the rules don't change for either side. So if... Um, <clears throat> Uh, we can't call somebody out and call somebody names and call somebody racist if we feel like that we're being harmed by that same type of behavior. What needs to happen is people need to come together, um, stop the violence, stop calling each other names, um, stop the division, because that division uh, is uh, is another thing that's stopping us, and get on the same page about making sure that we've got a godly America that also makes sure that our people and our neighbors are well served. Did you vote for the great white hope? Who is the great white hope? Donald Trump, man. What the? <laughs> Did I vote for Donald Trump? Yes. Now, now my vote is mine, and that's private, so I'm going to keep it there. See but the I will guy. say this. The way my ticket looks. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. The way my Basically, ticket looks. Basically, all I've done is keep my promise. <laughs> he, he did what he said he was going to do. That's Why are you right. surprised? It's a wolf, right. Not a wolf in sheep's clothing, but I'll tell you what. Um, my ballot and the way that ballot should look across this country is not just one party, not Democrat, not Republican, not liberal, not conservative, but we need to look at the individual candidates, make sure that, number one, they're serving God, and number two, they have the people's best interest in mind. I agree to that. You ran for mayor of the city of Lawrence, Indiana. And uh, campaign and uh, your campaign focused on uh, uh, economics, right? Um, did you run as a Democrat or Republican or independent? Democrat. Oh, you did? Okay. Are you still a, well, you don't want to, do you want to say that you're a Democrat? Yeah, I am, I am still a Democrat, certainly. Um, I am How a member of How can you be a state. Christian and be a Democrat? That doesn't, make, that doesn't go together. 
It, it does. How was Moses an Israelite in the Egyptians uh, house in Pharaoh's house? How was uh, Joseph a uh, Israelite in the house of Jacob uh, in the house of the and uh, the governor of the Egyptians? This is how um, they both stay true to what God said, yet they're able to serve in places that may have been uh, not for what they believed in. So I've got an assignment to make sure that um, <clears throat> that again, our parties and our leaders serve God and serve the people. Where is Moses and Jacob now? What do you mean? Where are they? They're dead. I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> you can have to have me back, this is fun. <laughs> uh, amazing. Um, are you, last question. Yep. I'm saddened that this country is allowing so many women to take over our government, schools, homes, workplace, and places all over the country, knowing that women are not created to, to lead, they are created to follow. The men are created to lead because of the order of God, God in Christ, Christ in man, man over woman and woman over children. And whenever women take over, that's, that's when and how hell comes into your life, into a country, into a business. Are you as sad as I am that this country is, they are taking over the churches? I did a report the other day, more women are becoming preachers than men. Are you sad to see that knowing that things can only get worse when a woman is in charge? I don't think that things can get worse when a woman's in charge. But they do. Now we have to go back to the word of God here. The word of God talks about the uh, arrangement of what you just said, God to husband, to wife, to family. Right. That's in the home. Yeah. That's um, in all life, though. Excuse me? That's in whole life, the home, the school, the churches, workplace, government. So we might have to uh, follow back up because I know that the time is coming to an end. Right. But you don't have to show me where it says that in the Bible because in the word of God, that does reference the home. Uh, and then the next chapter references the church and the order in the church and expectations of bishops right. and elders and, and others that are working there. Um, so uh, what's the problem really is, and we said this earlier, is that um, husbands aren't staying in the role and wives are having to pick up uh, where men have fallen down. And that's the problem. Men are supposed to cover their wives uh, in terms of scripture. Men but if the mother has destroyed the man when he was a little boy, he doesn't know how to be a man because she turned him away from the father. But where did that start? Her, where her. did that start? Because daddy left. No, because right? daddy can handle mama. Okay. Well, uh, in Hebrew, uh, the word fear uh, backs up to where there is no father. So fear and anger uh, are really rooted in the fact that there's no father there in the first place. Mama has to pick it up. Mama's bitter. Mama's angry. Then that starts to cycle. So dads, we got to stay in our lane. It's hard. We get beat up. We have to take the heat and the weight of our family and the people that are around us. But uh, we got to do it to step up for our family. So if women were not created by God to be leaders, it's not in their nature, they're created to follow their man, not to try to lead, right? What made you think they can run a government or a school or anything? Uh, that's a good question. I can't answer it with the word, but I'll tell you what, in the family, uh, we're straight on and I think we're on the same page, but uh, we need talented people everywhere. How can people get in, in touch with you? 
Sure. Jamarspeaks.com, J-A-M-A-R-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. And uh, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, all the social media is under that same handle. Jamar, I enjoy talking to you, man. That was amazing. Thank you. I had a good time. Yes, sir. We'll talk again. All right now. Thank you. Check them out, folks. Amazing. Amazing. And don't forget to like, follow, tweet, subscribe, and share the Justin Lee Peterson radio show, folks. We really appreciate it. We are at war. It is a spiritual battle for the soul of America. And it's going to take all of us to do it. 